in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. In a moment, we're going to hear from Leslie Kane after two or three years since we last talked with her, and there's a lot of things going on, but I wanted to catch up. But right now, let's consider last week's episode with Jeff Belanger and all those great ghost stories. Yeah, just fabulous stories. Uh, he does, of course, the New England Legends podcast, and just there's a never-ending a series of absolutely fascinating stories. I, I can eat that stuff up like candy. Just love that interview and are looking forward to having Jeff back again in another couple of months. I was interested in the story where he moves the Robin Hood legend to New England. Yeah, Remember? that was pretty cool as an, as an origin for possibly the the more popular Robin Hood stories that we're all familiar with today. Well, that's why Kevin Costner played Robin Hood with an American accent. Oh, well. I, I haven't seen that particular movie. I had planned to go see it, but then uh, everything, every time I seem to do that, it seems to fall through for some reason. So I haven't actually seen that particular version. I used to watch something called Rocket Robin Hood when I was a kid, though, uh, much younger, kind of a cartoon. I can never get into cartoons that much. I mean, when I was very young, you did the usual Bugs Bunny, Porky Pig stuff, but that's it. Hey, we're going to move now to catching up with someone we haven't talked to in a couple of years, but we want to go back in time. We're going to take Leslie Kane on a journey back about 12 years, and she's got her time machine ready. You have it ready, Leslie, right? Do my best to set it up, yeah. Okay, here we go. And March 23rd, 2008, we had her on. She was involved with the Coalition for Freedom of Information. And Leslie, at that time, you were trying to unearth some NASA UFO documents through a FOIA request, was it? Yeah, I actually was the plaintiff in a federal lawsuit, a FOIA lawsuit against NASA. And it was to, it was to try to get documents about the Kecksburg UFO crash case in 1965 that I assume your listeners probably know about, about that case. Yeah. And we, we had every reason to believe that NASA was on the scene uh, when that event occurred and they collected documents about every little bit of debris that ever fell from the sky. So they should have had uh, lots of documents and it was a years and years long effort. um, And we, we, figured out exactly where they should search. I mean, there's a lot of research that went into it. And I worked with a lawyer and a, a research firm and this whole team of people, a public relations firm, and it was just this huge thing. But the bottom line is we never ended up getting any documents about the Kecksburg case, even though we got hundreds and hundreds of documents about other stuff. So that was very telling in itself, but um, it was a long effort and didn't didn't yield a lot of results. But the process was really interesting, and I learned a lot from it. Did you have occasion to talk to Stan Gordon? Oh, yeah. It? He was part of our team. But yeah, absolutely. He was really, really involved with us, and um, it was very helpful because he knows that case inside out. That reminds me we have to get him back on because we always enjoy his appearance. Okay, so... That one didn't maybe work out the way you wanted, but the other documents, they give any clues to anything? They weren't, they they really weren't. I mean, they weren't so much about 
I'm trying to remember because it was a long time ago. I think we may have gotten some UFO documents that were from the State Department, but none of them were real real revelations about UFOs. They were more about uh, meteors and space debris, you know, bits of Russian uh, Russian craft that might have fallen down someplace or even some unidentified materials that they may have picked up in some location, but it was clearly nothing anomalous about it, you know. It was those kinds of records. But the interesting thing was there were so many records on meteors, and that those included media stories. And when the Kecksburg object came down, uh, the, you know, it was basically said in the media and by a lot of people that, that it was a meteor. That's sort of what the, the line was at the time. And there were lots of media stories about that all over the country. And the interesting thing was there was not one of those showed up in the files from NASA, which made no sense because they had new media stories about uh, meteors that came down just before Kecksburg and just after Kecksburg. So we, we came to the conclusion that obviously all the files related to that case were sequestered away in some location that we didn't access. Either we didn't go to the right places with our request or the documents were just at such a high level of classification that they didn't even acknowledge they existed. And we, we, we will never know the answer to that, but it was revealing to us that there was absolutely nothing, even about it being a meteor that came down. Right. The absence of evidence is telling in and of itself. Exactly. And that's, For, that, you know, and it, the federal judge was fantastic that we had. Um, I think his name was Judge. I think it was Judge Kennedy. He was a very well-known judge in, in Washington. He was extremely critical of the way NASA handled uh, the our inquiries. And, you know, they weren't responsive to requests and they weren't following the law. And so that in itself was very satisfying to kind of have a UFO case litigated by a very well-known judge and be able to sit in the courtroom and listen to him admonish NASA for their behavior. It was all worth it just for that. I can imagine. I can imagine. Now, after you engage in that effort, where did you take the organization? And I want to move through the years to the time that you were working on the UFO data project and where that went. So, did you continue to work with this organization to get more documents from different places? No, no, we didn't do any more FOIA. I mean, we really had it with FOIA requests after this one. I think what happened next was I kind of moved into uh, being focused on working on a book. And gradually the organization kind of disbanded. I mean, we didn't, you know, it was, it was just basically an all-volunteer group of individuals who come together for this period of time to do this work. And then I kind of moved on to my book and everybody else moved on to their various projects. And so it just sort of, we didn't have any kind of official disbanding, but it just sort of faded into the background basically is what happened. And then I started focusing on researching my book that came out in 2010, which was only two years after that. So I might yeah. have even already and started that by when we did that interview. I just don't remember. That book, I think, was one of the first big UFO-related books in many years. How did you get someone like a John Podesta to write an introduction? Well, it's interesting you brought up about the uh, NASA lawsuit and the coalition because uh, the reason I got to know John Podesta was because he was a supporter of our NASA lawsuit. And we did two press conferences in Washington concerning that lawsuit, and he spoke at both of them. And he was, he was the the connection came because his brother's uh, public publicity public relations firm in Washington 
uh, was hired by the Sci-Fi Channel, who was bankrolling this whole effort, to kind of represent us and do work for us in the, with the media in Washington. And so because his brother was working in that way with us, he brought John into it. And John was always very interested in both UFOs and in the people's right to information. He was a real advocate for the release of government information to the public. And so so he was willing to come on board and kind of be a public uh, voice of support for us and brought a lot of legitimacy to what we were doing. And I used to go down to Washington and meet with him over the course of the uh, investigation and with the lawsuit and share with him what was going on. And in those meetings, I also had an opportunity to share other things with him that I thought were important that he should know about UFOs and about what other governments were doing, because I was very much a proponent of trying to get our government more involved and and trying to get a, a government agency set up like I had experienced and, and visited in other countries. So John was interested in that as well. So that's how we sort of developed this relationship. And then when I um, was doing my book and I got a, a really good publisher and a great editor and it was, you know, I asked him, I just basically asked him if he'd write the foreword and he said he would. Let's break here. We got Leslie Kane investigative journalist. And of course, you have probably heard about those pieces she co-wrote for the New York Times. And we're going back through her rather fascinating history in the UFO field with Gene and Randall. You're in The Paracast. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items and entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast jumbo tote bag, all sorts of T-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. Message and data rates may apply. Individual results vary. Exclusions apply. Contacts and glasses are such a hassle. I'd love to finally get LASIK, but... I'm going to stop you right there. If you want LASIK, then the LASIK Vision Institute has officially taken away everything standing in your way. Isn't LASIK expensive? Not at the LASIK Vision Institute. We're offering dramatically low prices and an absolutely free consultation. See for free if LASIK is right for you by texting 288 to 350350. But I'm really busy. A text only takes seconds, and the LASIK procedure typically only takes 15 minutes. And best of all, most patients can get back to work the following day. I had no idea. The LASIK Vision Institute uses the latest FDA-approved LASIK technology that helps the majority of patients achieve 20-20 vision. We've performed over 1.3 million procedures. That's experience you can trust. And we're offering 20% off our already low-cost services. What's that text again? Text DO88 to 350350. That's DO88 to 350350 to schedule your free consultation today.
This is George Dory from Coast to Coast AM and History Channel's Ancient Aliens. We support the amazing energy, nutrition, and skincare products from Jeunesse. Jeunesse products are designed by leading doctors in their field with natural ingredients and even stem cell technology. These products help your body perform and look better. Shop Jeunesse at GCNLife.com or call 1-844-443-6637. GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. If you owe money to the IRS, you need to hear this. The IRS is cracking down on those who owe back taxes. It starts with a devastating letter. And if you don't act immediately, you could find yourself having your wages garnished or have a lien placed on your property. But there's a solution. Tax 10,000 can help. Avoid enforced compliance, where these holds on your income and seizure of your home could become a nightmare that just won't end. Call 800-239-9957 now and speak to one of our experts. 800-239-9957 is the number to link you directly to a tax resolution specialist who will negotiate with the IRS on your behalf. Working through the IRS Fresh Start program, all the forms will be handled for you. All you have to do is make the toll-free call. 800-239-9957. Find out if you qualify and possibly save yourself thousands of dollars, not to mention a lot of headaches. It could be the best call you've made today. That number again, 800-239-9957. The service does not provide tax settlement or legal services. We will refer you to a company that does provide such services. Often the IRS will not agree to any reduction in the amount owed. Not all taxpayers who owe more than $10,000 will qualify for a tax reduction program. This is how we do every day. We be grinding. And if you want to come and text us, if you love them enough to turn off your music and pretend like their music is your music. Ah, this is mommy's jam. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat. Let's play it again. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So Leslie Kane is telling us about the writing of the book and how she got to meet John Podesta and how he came to write an intro. It's interesting, too, that even though we knew that Podesta was interested in UFOs, I don't recall him ever being ridiculed for it. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I don't think I recall that either. I mean, maybe maybe he was by members of the Republican Party if they had some political beef with him or something. There might have been some quips. But I don't remember it being a big problem for him, actually. And he would even put out tweets occasionally about UFOs. But just since we were talking about my book, I just want to mention, in case people aren't aware of it, that the title of the book is UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials Go on the Record, just for those who aren't familiar with the book. Right. And we're coming up to the 10th anniversary of that book now already, which is amazing. I've got a copy of it, of course, an excellent book for sure. Yeah, it's hard to believe it's been 10 years, but yeah, that's yeah, true. Really, because uh, when that book first came out, and I remember the interviews that you were doing, and you did quite a number of them, it was a very successful book, you were saying that you had just almost by accident got into the field of ufology as a journalist, 
became curious about it back then. And so back then you were kind of new to it all. Now it's been 10 years. And so this is really going to be a fascinating interview because you're no longer just someone who has just kind of gotten into it and learning about it. You've been in it for a while and have some experience now. Yeah, I mean, I would say when I when my book came out in 2010, I wasn't exactly new to it. I've been researching it for more than 10 years. And that's how I was able to get generals and pilots and government officials to actually come on board with my book. So I, I think I was fairly experienced at that time. But yeah, another 10 years adds a lot. Right, of course, when you add it all up, that's, that's, now in 20, that's quite a long time now. Yeah, it's been about 20 years. Well, 20 years since I published my first article in the Boston Globe, which was in May of 2000. So. This may, it'll be, you know, 20 years from that. Continuing with that, just very briefly here, you had mentioned, of course, John Podesta and whether any criticisms may have come from Republican sources. I recall you being on Fox News, I think with Bill Hammer at one time. Yeah, I mean, I've been on Fox a lot. And uh, Tucker Carlson nowadays is a real, real advocate for this issue. I mean, he covers it on mainstream television more than anyone else. It's funny, too, that we all recognize Tucker Carlson as a conservative firebrand, and he's a bomb thrower in that sense. He gets into heated debates with people with whom he disagrees. But when he has you and Nick Pope and other people on that show to talk about UFOs, he is straight ahead and serious. Absolutely right. And he's really on fire about this issue. I mean, he has said that he would cover it more if he could. He really gets it. He's outraged, you know, and he's willing to express that outrage that that our government isn't taking it more seriously, that people aren't more informed about it. And you just never know. And it really the issue clearly transcends politics or political parties or or anything like that, you know. So I think that's why there isn't a lot of bickering and ridicule going from one party to another. It's just you get people in both parties interested in this. And they realize it has nothing to do with your political framework. Now, in the 2016 campaign, Hillary Clinton, on some of her appearances, mentioned an interest in looking into UFOs. She referred to them, of course, as UAPs and mentioned that the name had changed. And she described that very knowledgeably. I assume Podesta is the one who got her involved in that. Yeah, I mean, he certainly influenced her, I would assume. You know, I can't say for sure, but, you know, certainly during her husband's presidency, he was interested in it also. And she was exposed to Lawrence Rockefeller back then when, you know, when that whole thing was going on. So I think she's bumped up against this issue for a long time. And I don't know at what level her personal interest, how far that goes, but she's obviously someone who takes it seriously. And I'm sure John has had an influence on her. What is very interesting here is I looked at that appearance. I saw a couple of them on late night TV. And I wondered, what is Donald Trump going to say about this? He's going to have some kind of tweet about crazy, crooked Hillary. You know what? He never said anything. I I don't recall one tweet from Donald Trump about Hillary Clinton and UFOs. I would think he would go into the tinfoil hat and everything. He'd get wacky over it. Yeah, I guess he just picked other things to criticize her about. I don't know. Or he was busy doing something else that night when she was on, you know. I have no idea. But he doesn't seem particularly interested in the in the topic of UFOs. I think he was asked about it once, and his answer was that he just wasn't. I was sort of very noncommittal and uninterested. 
and didn't seem to take it that seriously as far as I, I can remember. Yes, he blew it off. Yeah, it sort of blew it off, right. Exactly. So that's the way it is. I think I first ran across you back around just before that your book came out uh, when you uh, were given a credit in a documentary called I Know What I Saw and a special thanks in another one called Out of the Blue. Mm-hmm. Both by James Fox. Right. I mean, yeah. 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 No, I, I was um, I remember Out of the Blue went way back. Yes. Um, yeah. How did you get involved with those then? That This is going to take us back to some of the time before your book actually came out. And when you were just saying if, uh, before the last break that uh, you, you had been interested in it for some time. So maybe we should go right back to the beginning and talk about that and how you became involved with James Fox and these documentaries as well. Because there's still good documentaries to this day. Oh, yeah. And there's going to be an even better one coming out that James Fox is working on now is almost done, as you you guys probably know that. Sure. Um, yeah. But um, yeah. How did you meet up with James Fox? Well, I met with James because uh, I lived in the San Francisco Bay Area um, at the time that my Boston Globe story came out, which was in the spring of 2000. And James also lived in the Bay Area. And I had another colleague named Tim Coleman, who was working with James on uh, Out of the Blue, lived in the Bay Area. And I, I think I knew Tim Coleman. Um, he, was a, he was a fellow journalist who used to work for BBC, and he was interested in UFOs. I may have met him at a conference, or somehow I, I got together and got to know him. And through him, I met James Fox. And they just wanted to do it. They did a little interview with me for Out of the Blue because they wanted to have a journalist say something about UFOs. And at that point, I may have done a second story. I mean, I did a series of stories beginning with the Boston Globe. And I don't remember if for that first movie I had done anything else besides the Boston Globe or not. Um, But it was definitely pretty early on. And then um, for Out of the Blue, I was actually sort of a producer on that show. Um, That was around... Because, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry for I Know What I Saw, which was James's second film. Um, and we co-produced a press conference, James and I, in Washington, D.C. in 2007, which you guys probably remember. And we brought a lot of fascinating people over to uh, Washington and gave this press conference with them. We will continue with Leslie King. And we're going back to her connection with James Fox, who's been on the Paracast several times, and his documentaries. More to come with Gene and Randall. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I started fighting the IRS over 40 years ago when they tried to seize my mother's house. I sued the IRS and won. I beat the IRS then, and I've been beating them ever since. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I've helped thousands of people deal with tax problems they thought might never be solved. I can help you too. If you owe taxes you can't pay, don't wait another day. There's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. 
Would you like to get back that full head of hair from years past? Now, there is Reveal. Beverly Hills celebrity dermatologist Dr. Nathan Newman took nearly a decade to develop Reveal from natural botanicals to return to a full-body head of hair. Reveal for men and women with a 30-day money-back guarantee at GCNLife.com or toll-free 844-443-6637. 844-443-6637. Reveal at GCNLife.com. USA Radio News with John Hunt. President Trump's lawyers had their first chance to defend the president after three days of the Democrats' opening arguments. President Trump's attorney gave a two-hour preview of what is expected to be a vigorous defense. White House counsel Pat Cipollone said, We don't believe they've come anywhere close to meeting the burden for proof on what they're asking you to do. Attorneys continue to use the defense that the Democrats are trying to overturn the 2016 elections. The defense will continue their arguments on Monday. The question of whether witnesses will be called has not yet been answered. A 5.0 magnitude earthquake hit southern Puerto Rico, raising concerns about an unstable infrastructure in a region that is hit by quakes every day for nearly a month. The newest quake comes a day after hundreds of people were evacuated from the earthquake shelters that flooded after heavy rains hit the U.S. territory. This is USA Radio News. Got an old car? You can donate it, whether it's running or not, to the United Breast Cancer Foundation and save a life. They'll even come and pick it up for free. The United Breast Cancer Foundation has saved hundreds of women's lives through their free or low-cost breast screen exams. But now they need your help. The United Breast Cancer Foundation wants to save more lives through early detection by offering women free or low-cost breast screening exams. And donating your old car, SUV, or truck, whether it's running or not, helps pay for them. Plus, you get a charitable tax deduction. Help the United Breast Cancer Foundation save lives by donating your old car, SUV, or truck. Call now for free pickup. 800-280-2144-800-280-2144-800-280-2144. Call right now. That number again is 800-280-2144. Bags under the eyes, crow's feet, fine lines and wrinkles are things adults complain about as they age. Now there's Instantly Ageless. It works in minutes and is great for men and women. Here's a clip from the Rachel Ray Show testing the results of Instantly Ageless. Board certified dermatologist, Dr. Whitney Bowe. If you're looking to try to turn back the clock on a budget, you know, in the privacy of your own home, but actually there's some recent technologies emerging, almost like changes the behavior of the skin while it sits on the skin. She went off to try a product called Instantly Ageless. Yeah. Instantly, you could see a difference. Even the cameraman were like, wow, look at the difference. Yeah. But I would definitely use this product. This product, within minutes of applying it, it was actually a very dramatic rejuvenation. Try Instantly Ageless today at GCNLife.com. That's GCNLife.com. 30-day money-back guarantee and preferred price discount at GCNLife.com. That's GCNLife.com. Hi, this is Joshua P. Warren, author of The Poor Man's Paranormal, and you're listening to The Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So Leslie Kane talking about James Fox and her involvement with his 
documentaries. And of course, he's got this other one that's taken a lot of years to develop. He's gone through a lot to get this project moving. Indeed, he has. The second film, um, just to, to briefly say that I, I worked with him on the press conference in 2007, and that film was being made right around that same time involving a lot of the people that we had at the press conference. So I was just assisting him with that film. I went on some shoots with him, to, went on to Paris and was able to meet Dennis Letty for the first time. And so I sort of helped him out with that film a bit. Um, and the new one uh, is, I think, at a, at a whole new level. I mean, I've seen parts of it. I've shared, you know, James consults with me and I've given him feedback on some of it. And I'm, I'm, I think it's going to be really, really good, this new one. So that's exciting. When is it coming out? As far as I know, it's definitely coming out in 2020. I remember being told June and now I think it might be fall of 2020. I'm just not exactly sure. What's it called? I think it's called The Phenomenon. And wow. his trailer, he told me about two weeks ago that his trailer was coming out in a week. So now that trailer is going to come out. How interesting. And yeah. here we're hearing about it first. Yeah. And absolutely wonderful. Now, is this so, film going to be a theatrical release or go to a streaming service like Netflix? As I understand it, he's going to have a theatrical release initially, and then it's going to go into a, a, a streaming service or a television network or something. He's going to do both. And he's got a great team of people handling the distribution and all of that, all that level of it. It's very, very professionally done, the whole thing. Just at another level from the other two films he made, without question. This takes us to, of course, the way UFOs are received. And you have to have seen this, of course, because of your involvement from 2000 to 2020. These days, you say you're interested in UFOs or UAPs. People don't necessarily look at you sideways anymore. It's a lot better, a lot different. What do you think? Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, I was just reflecting with the other day with some with a filmmaker about well, if I think back to when I first started reporting on this topic in 2000, compared to what it's like to report on it today, it's a world of difference. And not just for my own reporting, but for what I see around me in the media in terms of how the media relates to this topic. And therefore, that affects people. That affects the world out there. And I think uh, the New York Times stories in particular have really upped, upped it a lot because of the impact that those stories have had and the credibility they bring to it. Um, so many people have told me that everybody, you know, so many people read those articles and so many people have different views about the topic as a result of them. So I do think it's things have changed a lot. And I think you've contributed to that over the years. You've really helped to bring about an acceptance of the subject matter. But where in in this history of it, would you say that you cracked through the ice or that the subject matter in general finally cracked through the ice? Well, I think there were a bunch of cracks for me personally. Um, I mean, my first crack was the Boston Globe story, which was a a lengthy, serious story that I was able to get in a major newspaper. And that was kind of a new thing. And I remember people saying, no journalist has ever done anything like this before. So that was a big breakthrough for me to just get rolling. And then um, my book was a an icebreaker too, because it was covered on, you know, a lot of major television networks. 
I think it brought more credibility to the topic. And then I would say the next big one was the uh, New York Times stories, both of them. The first one in December of 2017, and then the second one in May of 2019. The one in May of 2019, I mean, this is amazing to me. So the New York Times puts out a list at the end of every year of the 100 most read stories of the previous year. And in that list for 2019 of the 100 most read stories, our story on the Roosevelt UFO incident was the number 10, the 10 most read story of all the stories in the New York Times for the whole year. And I think that shows uh, you know, the level of impact and the level of interest that people have for this topic. I mean, number 10 in the New York Times for the year is, is really ast- astonishing. That is amazing, especially considering all these political stories happening at the same time, you know, the Trump stories of the day, all 17 of them, and where this gets in there competing for space. But before we go more into how you got involved with those stories, you were involved with uh, Mark Rodiger talking about this UFO data project to set up a network of UFO detectors. And we had you on, I think, in 2015. Yeah, that project... It really never, I mean, I, I should let Mark speak to it. And actually, Mark and I have a call scheduled on Friday. We're going to catch up on a lot of things, but I bet that's tomorrow. But um, the project, it just never, it never was able to acquire the funding it needed to get off the ground, unfortunately. The, but the website is still there. And uh, Mark and um, another a professor named Alex Wendt from the University of Ohio were, were the major players behind that organization. You know, I'm going to find out more tomorrow. It just so happens. But I don't think that they've been able to accomplish very much. And I just haven't been very actively involved with that, although I keep in touch with some of the people who were involved with it. But, yeah, I think it was a good idea and I wish more had happened with it. But, you you know, not everything comes to fruition. That one is still kind of laying low, I think. I wanted to mention, of course, in connection with that, it seems there have been a couple of other projects that we've talked about on the show setting up paranormal UFO collection, data collection systems, and they never seem to finish up. There's always something. Our former co-host, Chris O'Brien, was involved in the San Luis Valley camera project, and I guess they've done tests, but I've heard very little or nothing about it. And I know the last year or two that we talked with him, he seemed to be just a step away. And then we had an organization from Canada putting up a detector, UFO detector, as part of a low-orbit system. I never heard much about that either. Isn't that interesting that none of these projects ever gets to the next step? Yeah, I think there are a lot of them where the intentions are really great and the people that come together are really great. I think a lot of the bottom line for some of these projects is finances. I mean, you've got to have a funding base to be able to do work. And it's very hard to to get that. So oh, absolutely, I, yeah. I mean, good ideas are, are yeah. a dime a dozen, but getting yeah. people to step up to the plate—that's another story. And people are volunteering their time, and everybody has lives and jobs and families, and it's just you know, it's not always easy. But um, some of them. So that's—I think it just—that's why it happens a lot that things don't go where you want them to go. It's kind of sad, Leslie, that we have these billionaires, Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, et cetera, et cetera, worth tens of billions of dollars. They got all that money. And just think 
what a small part, maybe a billion dollars, which is <laughs> chump change to them. It's like me giving you a quarter in terms of its impact. Mm-hmm. They could do wonders. That's true. It would be great, wouldn't it? Is there I a way the to read? We had to that was Lawrence Rockefeller back when he was alive. He used to, I mean, it wasn't anything close to a billion dollars, but at least he was uh, supporting UFO work and investigations and stuff, which was made a big difference. Who does it today? I guess Bob Bigelow. But of course, he keeps everything close to the vest. We never know what he's doing. And that leads us, of course, to this other story, how the New York Times articles came to be. And we learned about a UFO project at the Pentagon and the former Senator Harry Reid's connection with that. So Mm -hmm. that is another story in itself. And I'd like you to tell us where you started hearing about that one, because that one the impact is still being felt. In fact, we had a couple of weeks ago, Gary Voorhees, who was one of the people who saw the Tic Tac UFO. He was aboard another ship, I believe, at the time. Leslie Kane, investigative journalist, joins us. Um, Gene, he's Randall. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. Most of you know that heart disease is the number one silent killer in the U.S. What if I told you for just $54.95 a month you could fight against heart disease naturally? At Heart and Body Extract, we've been helping thousands of people get back to a healthier heart. Don't just take my word for it. Check out all of the success stories at hbextract.com. Or to order, call 866-295-5305. That's 866-295-5305. hbextract.com. Don't risk it when you can take charge of it.
The Hebo Tea Club's original pure Powdiarco Super Tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus does not grow on. So it naturally has antifungal, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-infection, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. But maybe more importantly, the Hebo Tea Club's original pure Powdiarco Super Tea builds corpuscles in the blood which carry oxygen to our organs and cells. Our organs and cells need oxygen to regenerate themselves. The immune system needs oxygen oxygen to develop and cancer happens to die in oxygen. The tea is great for healthy people and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. Dehebo Tea Club's original pure Powdiarco Super Tea is only $34.95 plus shipping. Order now at ShopSuperTea.com or call 818-984-6100. That's ShopSuperTea.com, 818-984-6100, ShopSuperTea.com. Have you checked your Google search results lately? Search results are usually the first impression that people form of you or your business. So make sure that they create a positive impression with Reputation Defender. What the Internet says about you can have a big impact on your life and your livelihood, even if it's not true. Fortunately, you can now control how you look online and in online search results with Reputation Defender. Call 800-831-0771 now. That's 800-831-0771 for your free reputation analysis. If you have negative material from an ex-employee, upset patient, or former client, newspaper, article, legal issue, social media, or other source showing up in your search results, you can combat it with Reputation Defender. Our dedicated experts in patented technology can help make your online search results look their best. Call 800-831-0771 to learn more. 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. So out of the blue, when one day I read the New York Times digitally, I see this piece and I look at the authors and I see your name on that list. And I thought then, where did this begin? What's the genesis of it? Uh, Well, I'd be happy to tell you about that. And actually, the story of how it all came to be was written up in the Times. That story in itself was written up in the Times on December 19th, two days after the story broke, for those who might want to look that up. But um, what happened was that when uh, Luis Elizondo resigned from his position as the head of the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program at the DOD, which we all call ATIP. And I'm going to take the story from there, but um, can I assume that your readers know Elizondo, that they've, have he been on your show or have you uh, had anything about him on your show? We've mentioned him. And of course, we mentioned a certain controversy not worth going into. We've mentioned him. He's not been on the show. I've written to him a couple of times. He hasn't done yet. But I think because we have so many listeners of different levels of understanding, give us a brief background of that. Okay. Well, I mean, the way it worked for me, because I hadn't heard of him until that day. So I was invited to a meeting at a, invited to come down to Washington. Um, by some close colleagues of mine who also happened to be in connection with this Defense Department program, who were associates with that program. 
and knew the head of the program. And I was told that he was resigning and they wanted me to meet him. And um, his name was Luis Elizondo. And I went to this meeting in Washington at a, at a, in a um, hotel in, in D.C. and um, spent maybe three hours, I'd say, approximately with Elizondo and um, Hal Putoff was there, Chris Mellon and uh, Jim Semivan. I think that's public knowledge by now that they were at that meeting. Um, and I, I met him and I was shown uh, this, this absolutely astonishing information that to me was was astonishing regarding um, the fact that the program even existed at all, which nobody knew about publicly. We, nobody knew about there was a de Defense Department program studying UFOs. Uh, and here I was sitting opposite the director of that program who had been involved, you know, had been running it for 10 years. And so a lot of it was just talking to him. And I was shown a lot of documents that um, showed me that the, you know, that what he was saying was true. Um, and I was shown the letter that Harry Reid, uh, a statement he wrote um, requesting that this program, you know, go into a special access status. I believe that letter has since been released by um, George Knapp. And I was shown um, other documents and these three videos that have since been released um, that were Defense, Depart Defense Department videos, which have been cleared for public release. But most importantly, I, th I mean, the videos were astonishing, but what, you know, most important was that there was this government program and Mr. Elizondo had resigned. He'd written this absolutely stunning letter to uh, Secretary Mattis, the Secretary of Defense. And um, his letter to Mattis, I found to be very powerful because of the references he made in that to uh, his frustration with the fact that not enough resources were being provided to the work of, of um, investigating UFOs and how it, sh it was a national security issue and it needs to be taken seriously. And he was just expressing all of that here to the Secretary of Defense. And I was able to read that letter and it was extremely powerful. And I, again, I think, I think it has since been released, possibly by George Knapp, I'm not sure. But we at the New York Times, we, 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 were, we kept all of our um, documents confidential as at the request of various sources that we do that. So, uh, but, it, but it had a huge impact on me. And I, I really recognized that this was at the level of a possible story for the New York Times. And that's how a whole started. I then went to my colleague, Ralph Blumenthal, who has, who worked at the Times for decades and is now a freelancer with the Times. And together we had a meeting with um, a high level person from the Washington Bureau and that's how the article was greenlit. And we, we were assigned uh, Helene Cooper to work with us, who was the Pentagon correspondent for the New York Times, an incredible journalist, prize-winning, uh, just brilliant, well-connected person. And it was a real gift for us to be able to work with her. And that's how it all happened. First-class treatment. Uh, yeah, tonight. we had a big story. And I think the uh, head of the Bureau, who I also met with in Washington, uh, Elizabeth Bumiller, she realized that. And she was our editor for the story. So uh, we had an incredibly powerful team of people. I mean, uh, Helene Cooper, you know, was their Pentagon person. So she know, knew people at the Pentagon. And she, was, she could get access to, to lots of things that Ralph and I were not set up to get access for, or would have been harder for us to get certain people to talk to us. And, you know, but Helene had, had that kind of connection to people. 
So it was absolutely fantastic. The three of us each had our own roles to play and we did, we just worked really well as a team. It was a great experience to do that. Now, to go back how this started, I never even had an inkling that someone like former Senator Harry Reid, when he was the Senate Majority Leader, would have any interest in the subject and any interest in trying to get funding for a project like this. I had no idea either, Gene. I mean, this was everything I learned at that meeting was news to me. And I don't think anybody knew that that uh, program was kept under wraps. The funding was kept under wraps, the whole thing. And so nobody knew about it. And that's why the story was so explosive. Because, um, you know, we were we were putting this information out there for the first time. So, yeah, I didn't know that Harry Reid was involved. And there were two other uh, senators that were involved with him, but he was the main person. And since then, he has done, uh, I mean, we did an interview. Our, our Helene Cooper actually flew to Las Vegas to interview him. But since then, he's done other interviews and has spoken out a lot about this topic. So I, I, it's just been, he's been an incredible, uh, important voice for all of this. As has Luis Elizondo, who you were saying you actually met with. And uh, I have a question about that because there's been some actual questioning about whether or not he actually led the program itself, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, uh, because there's been so many headlines that he ran it, he was the head of it, he was the person who was in charge, and yet nobody has been able to come up with any documentation for that that we've seen out here. When you were looking through all of these documents in this private session, did were you able to determine with reasonable certainty that he was the head of that program? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't have doubted it uh, in terms of what I was shown. I was shown a lot of correspondence and emails, and there were other sources that I had that confirmed it for me. It wasn't just the documents. Um, and, you know, whether you want to say he was director or head of it or even a point person, I mean, it's a matter of semantics, what word you're going to use. The program was not, you know, it was a fairly small kind of collection of people. And it, it, it wasn't like it had its own office and its own stationery or logos or any of the stuff that, that you would expect a program to normally have. It was a, a, a devoted group of people who wanted to pursue and study this topic, and they were able to get funding for a while to do so. And, and Lou was the person who, Lou Elizondo, that kind of coordinated everything, made it happen. He was the point person. He was, you can call him a director, whatever you want. I think, you know. So he sounds he sounds like he was in a, a more of a coordinator position. I'm you know, you'd have to ask him. I mean, my sense of it, uh, we you know, we stand by what we wrote in our initial story in The Times, which was that he was in the role of the director for this program. If you want it, you know, and he he was comfortable with that word. And so were others who I spoke to who were involved with the program and had worked with it for years. I think we can move past that, though, yeah, because this is not part of what Leslie's looking into here. And that gets involved in the, the UFO field and some of the back and forth that goes on. And I don't think it's anything that she could deal with because she didn't focus on that. She focused on the information. Now, was it 22 million that they got funding? Correct. Yeah. Initially, they got 22 million. And a lot of that was spent on hiring independent contractors 
to do various kinds of studies. Um, and they got, I don't know, 34, something like that, papers written and uh, studies done on, on um, materials and the effects on human beings of, of close encounters and a lot of stuff, which, of course, you know, most of it has not been able to be, be released. And Bob Bigelow was the his his organization was the you know received the funding and then what he did was he hired out all these independent contractors. He actually was not that involved with it himself. Let's or, break it there and we'll go on yeah. to the involvement. Okay. We got more to come with Leslie, Gene, and Randall. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Classic science fiction at its best. Available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com. Have you heard the warning from the dead doctors don't lie guy? I'm talking about Dr. Joel Wallach. He says if you have a four inch medical chart, if you take prescription drugs for high cholesterol or high blood pressure, arthritis, joint pains, or other health issues, the medical profession is failing you. They're using you for an ATM machine. That's what he says. He has a free lecture revealing what pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know. There's been groundbreaking research and discoveries on how to effectively treat or eliminate over 900 different diseases naturally. And it's all in his free lecture called Deadly Recipe. You want it free? Call him toll-free at 855 855- Seven nine young. You ready? Eight five five seven nine young. Doctor Joel Wallach, the dead doctors don't lie guy, says there's no reason why we shouldn't live to be at least a hundred and have a great time getting there. Welcome back to the Paracast. The gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So we're going here to look at the genesis of this government UFO study that the funding at least was handed off to Bigelow. Now, if one wants to talk politics, Bigelow was a supporter of Senator Reid, right? He was. I mean, they were friends. Yep. Nobody's pretending otherwise regarding that. And we're talking here about $22 million to start. That's, in terms of government, that can buy a couple of toilet seats. Exactly. It's not much Not a big all. deal. And then after that was, you know, they, there was no more funding that came after that. They were supposed to receive more funding, 
but it never ended up with the program. It ended up somewhere else within the Department of Defense. After that uh, period of time, I think it was starting in around 2012, the program continued to function without a budget. And it did not shut down. It kept on going. It just didn't have these contractors to work with anymore, but it had access to other branches of government. It had connections to people in the Navy and the CIA and was able to make use of resources, let's say, that would help them investigate various cases. So even without this designated budget, they were able to still accomplish a lot of a lot of the work they wanted to do. Although, again, with frustration that there weren't more resources, which is one of the reasons Elizondo left. And it was an uphill battle. Plus, a lot of the people within the department did not think highly of them doing this work. Nonetheless, they managed to keep going. And the program is ongoing today. So uh, to to whatever extent people might think that that's not the case, I, I know that it is, that the program is still functioning. And some people will bicker over the language. Is it a program? Maybe that's not the correct word for it. You know, I, you know, if you want to get into semantics, I don't know, but I don't get involved in, as you said, a lot of the stuff that goes on around all of this. But there are still a group of people within the DOD who are carrying on the work that was going on uh, before Elizondo resigned. That work is still going forward now. So this is nothing in the line item in the budget, or maybe they're using existing resources. What struck me as interesting, though, is we have this project beginning in the early 2000s. We had Project Blue Book, which ended in 1969. What happened in the interim? Wouldn't we love to know more about that, right? I wish we, you know, the fact that this program existed and we didn't know anything about it makes you wonder what else was, what existed during all those years. I don't know. I, I don't know any more than anyone else, although I'm, I'm quite certain. There certainly were, if not programs, certainly individuals within various agencies who took this seriously and worked on it. I mean, that's, you can be sure about that, but I don't know what we don't know. So. That's true. That's very, that's, that's the only reason I I was asking some of these questions was to try to, to, to clarify some of that. And I think you make a really good case there that a program like this maybe wasn't set up as an official department. So it was a, it was a lot more ad hoc and that could explain why we don't have some of the kind of documentation that people would like to see that that confirms in no uncertain terms exactly what was going on. But what we do seem to know with absolute certainty is that there was an investigation going on that was official within the Defense Intelligence Agency that was part of the military and that they were taking these objects, whatever they were, very seriously. Right. And then it actually moved from the DIA into the DOD. I mean, it's all they're all interconnected. It's not, you know, it's considered to be a a Department of Defense program. And yeah, that's absolutely correct. And I think that given the nature of this program, it's the kind of entity that is very hard to get information about a, a group like this through the FOIA. If you can't get that information, it doesn't mean that therefore uh, what you've required what you've been requested doesn't exist or that you know that something is different than what people have said it just means that those documents are not accessible to the person in the FOIA office who's who's dealing with the request and there are hundreds of programs within the Department of Defense that are like this one that are small unknown and buried programs and you can be certain that there are many of those that 
are not going to be the people who write for FOIAs about them are not going to get information. It's just the way it is. So I was, you know, as disappointing as it is, I have not been at all surprised that information hasn't come out, more information about this program. But um, to me, that doesn't change anything that I know about it and doesn't change anything that we wrote about in our time story. It's pretty interesting that, uh, say, someone like John Alexander, who was in the military himself, uh, wrote UFOs, myths, conspiracies back in 2011 and claims to have researched all of this and also found nothing. And then all of a sudden this comes out. Yeah, I mean, I believe, what did he say? Oh, I guess I was wrong or something. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, I think it shows how well hidden it was because I think uh, John Alexander was obviously a person with a lot of connections. I mean, enough connections that he made the assumption that if, if a program existed, he would know about it. Right. So there you go. That's a, that's a really interesting point. I mean, and, I, I, and, I, and there are many programs like this that not just about UFOs, but I, this is what I've been told by people involved with the Defense Department about all kinds of topics that are sensitive. There are programs like this and people just don't know about them. And it's very hard to find out about them. It's just the way it is. Something else I find really interesting about this whole affair is uh, we recently had, as Gene had mentioned, Gary Voorhees on as a guest, and he was aboard uh, one of the ships in the Nimitz encounters, mm -hmm. and he was responsible for maintaining the, all of the technical uh, equipment there. And he was saying that there were people that came onto the ship that, that took the information uh, the data recorders with them from the ship and flew off in a helicopter. Well, obviously, that stuff came out through Elizondo. So for the first time in history, we see how something like that happens, how it seems to disappear and go into some void someplace, but then actually does come out through the military, meaning that they obviously had it. Right. I'm not sure that necessarily that the ATIP program had all the data on that, that incident. This, this, that one video was cleared for release to the public, but I suspect there's a lot more data on that case. And whether all of it was run through the ATIP program, I don't know. Uh, I mean, that would be an interesting question to ask, and I don't know if I would even get an answer about it. I think, you know, that the data that was confiscated maybe never ended up with ATIP. We don't know that. It might exactly. directly to the Navy or, you know, some other, the CIA, or I don't know. Uh, so we don't know who confiscated that or why or where it went. Well, I guess the point I'm making is it seems to be reasonable to suggest, given the situation, that it all was within some military channels. In other words, it wasn't just some men in black who nobody knows about came along, took them, and nobody knows. Right. Because, it, because what we did get did come back out of the military from someplace. Exactly. We got the video. We got some other uh, data on the case. And I, I think you're absolutely right that that information was provided to somebody within an agency within our government who wanted to study it or make use of it. Which yeah. means somebody must know. Now, have you done any um, you know, bloodhound tracking to try and find out exactly where that is or who those people are at all? Uh, not, we haven't been able to find out. I mean, uh, so much of this is classified and when things are classified, you know, you just bump up, it's like bumping up against a, a brick wall. 
you can ask, you get to a certain point and then it's like, can't go any further. It's all, it's just out of reach. And so that's what happens with a lot of this information. And, you know, we had these, this intention, this belief after doing the first story in the times that we would be able to do more. And we had even made statements along those lines. And I, I, you know, in retrospect, that might've been a mistake because we, we soon learned that so much of what we wanted to follow up on and report on was just information that was not going to be given to us. We're exploring the genesis and the ongoing research from the Department of Defense, the things that Leslie Kane and her associates had discovered. We got more to come. And a little bit later, we'll talk a little bit about her other book, Surviving Death. We've got more to come with Gene and Randall. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. When I invented MyPillow, I wanted it to where you can move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. MyPillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed. It's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. And here's my best offer ever. You can buy one of my pillows and get one absolutely free. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-870-0305 and use promo code GCN. That's MyPillow.com or 800-870-0305 with promo code GCN. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon you'll need a plan and place to survive. Forget bunkers. You're not a live underground gopher. You need survivalist camps, the ultimate fully functional off the grid mobile survival bug out house that's well equipped and custom built to outlast any other RV or trailer. Bold statement, you bet. See them now at survivalistcamps.com. That's survivalistcamps.com. Trust your family survival to survivalistcamps.com. Jake was in big trouble with the IRS. He owed how much? $92,000. Ouch. The IRS left no room for Jake to breathe. They put a lien on my house, took all the money out of my bank account, took money out of my paychecks. So it was a nightmare. He needed help fast. I figured that all these companies were the same until I called federal tax management. 
you could just tell they knew what they were talking about. Right then and there, I felt like I had some hope. Stop the liens, levies, and garnishments fast and qualify for one of several special IRS programs that could reduce or even eliminate your tax debt. So, how did it go for Jake? They did what they said they would do. They came through for me. I ended up saving an unbelievable amount. I was so jazzed. I was extremely happy. If you owe more than $10,000 in back taxes, take Jake's advice. Give federal tax management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the federal tax management hotline now. 800-503-8625. 800-503-8625. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right. We cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Do you think, Leslie, that really they didn't want this to come out in public anyway? And maybe if Alessandro had not left his job it may have just been a secret. That's quite possible. Yes, I think uh, his leaving the job uh, was a major turning point. And a lot of information that came out as a result of that would not have come out otherwise. I think that's true. For your journey, what are some of the high points for you? I mean, of course, you were on the Colbert Reports. So can you describe the sort of the feelings that it gave you to suddenly bring all of this out, crack through and and get into the limelight, so to speak, as a journalist? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the Colbert Report. I think that was absolutely one of the highlights of of my life and certainly of any media that I've ever done. And I've done probably all the major, just about all the major media. Uh, That interview with, with Stephen Colbert was in a class by itself. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, my God. It was the most challenging and the most exhilarating, both, and the scariest, all of that uh, thing I'd ever done, really. It was just, I'll never forget it. It was amazing to be sitting. I mean, I just can't believe it. And I, I really had to get myself into a very, into the absolute right mindset before I could do it. And unfortunately, I had time to do that because you get there hours before you go on. And anyway, it was really, really uh, an amazing experience. And I I think he's absolutely incredible. And, you know, that same week, I also did um, MSNBC and I and and Michio Kaku went on MSNBC. uh, I think it was the same night I was on Colbert even just to talk about my book. I mean, they sort of had him on as like someone to interview about my book because he had written a blurb for it. And then I went on MSNBC and I might have done one other mainstream interview that week. And that's basically what put my book on the New York Times bestseller list. It was that kind of exposure because that was the week that it, it first was on the New York Times bestseller list. So I, I think I have Stephen Colbert to thank for that, quite honestly. Yeah, it was, you know, I knew that the book had a lot of important information in it and 
you know, I thought it should really blow people's minds, but I really had no idea whether it would or not or what would happen. So it was a, it was quite a ride and it was really a surprise to me how much attention it did generate. Yeah, it was a very, uh, very exhilarating time. I would say that from there, that was the final stretch to uh, cracking the ice on this, so to speak. And I'm kind of wondering now, so where do we go from here? We had Stephen Bassett on not too long ago. It's like we've, yes, there was no question that that, that is, was sort of the, the final uh, leg of the journey to the point that we're at now. And now, it was recent, recently we had Stephen Bassett on. And of course, Stephen always talks about disclosure. And it seemed for a moment there with all of the publicity that was happening that we might just get it. Did you feel that we were close at one point yourself as well? I guess it it depends on, I mean, I have a lot of issue with the word disclosure. I don't even use it or ever talk about it. Uh, so it, I'd have to know exactly what you mean by that word before I could really comment on whether, you know, wh- whether we have it or not. Well, I guess the it, sort of the big D disclosure is where, well, now we've got people who were former military people in positions that were verifiable coming out saying that there were genuine programs by the government to look into the phenomena. But there are people who have had to quit or maybe become whistleblowers, you might call them. Uh, What we're looking for is for people who are currently employed to come out and say, this is what we have and show us all of that information that's hidden in behind the scenes that we mu- we know must be there but haven't got access to that that uh, that brick wall that you were describing that you would run up against when you would ask for things yeah i mean certainly we've had active on active duty investigators from other countries who are government officials from those countries who have acknowledged the reality of ufos now maybe you could say that's some kind of official disclosure that has taken place in those countries like Chile and France are two examples. Um, And I had other, you know, I had the, in my book chapters written by people who were officials working for the French government, et cetera. But of course, America is where it really matters. So um, I think that, uh, you know, Elizondo coming forward was a big step, but I I don't think that there's going to be some big moment where we have this, disclosure as people imagine it. Um, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, we we know that UFOs are real and that they exist. And I think the government has already acknowledged that through the countless documents that have been released starting in the 1940s and 50s and all the way through. Uh, there are government documents that show that there is a real phenomenon here and that, that our government's been interested in it. And then there are also individuals who have spoken about that. And um, one of the more recent important ones was Elizondo when he first left the Pentagon. So I don't think we're, I don't expect to see every single bit of classified information released all of a sudden to the public. That's just not going to happen. And there's a lot of reasons why that won't happen. So I just think there's not going to be some big moment that people are looking for. I see it more as a gradual process. And I see it more now as more, I mean, as some people talk about confirmation now, that we're talking about confirming the reality 
rather than establishing the reality, because we know already that the reality, that UFOs exist and that they're physical. We know what their properties are. You know, they're in documents, they're in videos, their officials from around the world have talked about their reality. I don't, I just can't imagine, you know, that that's really in any dispute anymore. Um, well, yeah, I would have to agree with you definitely yeah. from my position as a ufologist, at least. But then there's still people out there who haven't done their homework, like you and I have, who still think that there's just not enough and it's not really that important to their lives and they just they they just don't care and they just kind of deny that it's out there. What's your reaction to those sort of people? Well, I mean, I feel if somebody's not interested in it, they have every right not to be interested in it. I mean, that's I can understand why many people wouldn't be interested in it who are who are just concerned about their main, you know, having a job and raising a family and their day-to-day lives and and I thoroughly respect that. Um, I think dismissing it out of hand when you're not informed, you know, is not something I, I would respect too much. But people do that all the time with all kinds of topics. And you know, everybody has opinions about things they're not informed about. Let's break it here, Leslie. I just wanted to say a few words about our other radio show, After the Paracast. It's available exclusively to members of the Paracast Plus. We also offer a version of this show that's free of the network ads. How about that? For more information, go to theparacast.plus. And one more thing, Leslie Kane will continue her discussions on this weekend's After the Paracast. More to come with Gene and Randall. You're in The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Most of you know that heart disease is the number one silent killer in the U.S. What if I told you for just $54.95 a month you could fight against heart disease naturally? At Heart and Body Extract, we've been helping thousands of people get back to a healthier heart. Don't just take my word for it. Check out all of the success stories at hbextract.com. Or to order, call 866-295-5305. That's 866-295-5305. hbextract.com. Don't risk it when you can take charge of it. Hunters, anglers, campers, and survivalists. Get back to nature. Expand your horizons with the highest quality, most versatile, unique slingshots and slingbows on the market at slingbow.com. Slingbow products are compact and models start from just $17.98. They're perfect for your bug out bag or storing in your vehicle. Give yourself and your loved ones the excitement and tradition of Slingbow. A new frontier in archery and truly modern twist on this primitive survival tool. Feel the thrill only at slingbow.com. USA Radio News with John Hunt. Freed momentarily from the Senate's impeachment trial, several presidential candidates hightailed it to Iowa for last-minute campaigning before the state's caucuses kick off the battle for the Democratic nomination. Senators Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, Bernie Sanders of Vermont, and Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii plan to hold town halls, rallies, and concerts across Iowa to keep their supporters motivated into the final stretch of the campaign. They'll join former Vice President Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg the former mayor of South Bend, who does not have any Senate obligations and already spent much of the past week in Iowa. 
China's leader called the accelerating spread of a new coronavirus a very grave situation as cities from the outbreak's epicenter in central China to Hong Kong scrambled to contain an illness that has now infected more than 1,200 people and killed at least 41. This is USA Radio News. Our U.S. Constitution is amazing. It's full of what's called negative rights, designed to protect us from the corrupt powers of a dictatorship. Like our right to worship our own God, not some official state religion. Our right to prevent the government from seizing our property without paying fair market value for it. Or our right to be tried by a jury of our peers, people like us, not by some star tribunal. And that's why America has become the richest, most just society in the world. Other countries force so-called positive rights onto their citizens. These enable one group to take from another group their free speech, money, and choice by using government force. Socialists love wielding this power over people. Sometimes we take our freedoms for granted, but we can lose our Bill of Rights and our Constitution and become like Venezuela or North Korea. Failed, brutal socialist regimes. We need your help to spread the good news about our amazing U.S. Constitution. Help us take back America. Go to OurAmericanRights.com Brought to you by the American Media Council. I'm here with Scott Uceum, founder of OMG Tax. Tell us how your company helps our listeners out there who have a problem with the IRS. My team of lawyers, enrolled agents, and licensed tax experts remove wage garnishments sometimes in the same day. We even have reduced the total debt some of our clients were required to pay through what is known as an offer in compromise. Can you give us an example of somebody you help? Oh, can I ever. We have taken a $500,000 liability with the IRS Guess what? The client didn't pay a dime through the representation known as non-collectible status with the government. If you owe the IRS more than $10,000 and you want to see if it's possible to pay a lot less, call OMG Tax right now for a free tax-saving consultation. Call 800-486-8112. That's 800-486-8112. This is Jacques Vallée, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Leslie Kane is with us. We're talking about the new prominence in UFOs and where it might take us. And you used a term, Leslie, and you probably haven't heard me use it, a gradual disclosure, where it's not going to be the mass landing that would obviously be in the hands of something or someone else. It wouldn't be the president of the United States or the dictators out there, Putin or the leader of China or any of these people getting up there and saying, hey, we are being visited. It is something that we will wake up one day and we've accepted everything after a number of years. Yeah, maybe. Or if there is some astonishing, you know, undeniable uh, manifestation, I mean, you know, of some massive flyover over a big city that's filmed and there could be some UFO event that would make it absolutely impossible to deny it and that would force uh, some kind of acknowledgement of something that we can't explain. I mean, that's conceivable. That, of course, is in the hands of the phenomenon and not in our hands. And we never know if that's going to happen or not. So that's one way things could change drastically. Um, But I think if nothing along those lines happens and we just continue the way we are now with an occasional case here and there and people seeing things and reporting things, I mean, uh, 
I think uh, then it is going to be gradual. and We're going to have events that happen, such as we had with discovering this Pentagon program. They're going to move everything forward. But um, I don't think that, you know, the, the government officials who were involved with this, certainly within the Pentagon, have no desire to release what they know uh, to our adversaries. And there's, you know, they're, they're studying how these things do what they do. They're trying to understand it. That's something that there's a sort of competitive edge around. So well, there's a lot of reasons along those lines of why we're not going to want to release information that we, that we have and things that we learn about the, the objects. And that, that's understandable to me. What I wonder about here, too, is because I mentioned Russia and China and other countries, maybe Japan or something, we assume the major developed countries all have UFO-related experiences. We have the books. We have the reports. We know it's happening around the world. There's a book about UFOs in Russia. We might bring on the author sometime. But the thing is here, are these respective governments having independent programs? What's to stop someone from getting up there and saying something before somebody else does? You mean somebody from one of those programs? Putin comes up and says, hey, the Russians have discovered that we have this phenomenon called UFOs, UAPs, whatever they call it in Russia, and want to be the first one, the point person. I just don't think, I mean, I know there's a sort of, I just don't think that that's how it works. I don't think that they, anyone's going to care about being the first one. I mean, it's, this is not an issue that is in the forefront of the minds of people who run the world, you know, who are the world leaders. I think there's a sense among people in the UFO community that it's so important to them that somehow this has got to be of equal importance to all these other people out there who are in positions of power. And that just isn't the case. You know, this is not the highest priority issue for people. And so I don't think there's some kind of competitive thing going on about who's going to be the first to acknowledge it. And people are sitting in their rooms discussing the strategies for how to handle this and you know all these things that i hear talked about which i you know to be honest i don't listen to them very much so there may be things that i'm not informed about that people are saying but um i i just don't have a sense that it, it works that way you know there's a competitive edge i mean if the russians are doing secretive classified work the same way we are in america uh they're going to want to keep that to themselves, just like we want to keep it to ourselves. And nobody's in any rush to kind of make some big announcement about it. And I don't think they have all the answers yet anyway. I think that's a really valid observation. Thank you for your perspective on that. Because as a journalist, you you are somewhat more at arm's length than, say, someone who is what we might call the, the, the true believers, the ones who are believe they're in communication with aliens and sending them telepathic messages and all the rest. What is it that keeps you going that makes you believe that this is a worthy enough subject to devote so much time to then when there are so many bigger issues in the world that are more important? Well, I mean, that's to me personally, there aren't a lot of issues that are more important. It's all about your own personal orientation. And I, I was just saying, making the point that high level government officials, it's not the most important issue for them by a long shot. That's the point I was making. But for me personally, I'm absolutely, uh, you know, 
fixated. I'm obsessed with this issue. I mean, I find it the most, one of the most fascinating things that I have ever, ever worked on and I've been doing it for 20 years. So it's all a matter of what, what it means to you individually. That's all. And to me, it means a great deal. And I, I, I find it because it's such a, a, a incredible mystery that, you know, these things are, are here and they they develop extraordinary capacities. And yet we don't know, you know, where they're from or what they are or why they're here. All these things, these questions that remain unanswered. And I know that the experiencers have their own answers for some of those questions through their own experiences. And I respect that. And they could very well have the answers. But in terms of journalism, we have to have it come from other sources or it just doesn't fly. So I'm very interested in what people's experiences are. And I'm interested in, in close encounter experiences and all kinds of things. But those that sort of is in the back. You know, that's for me a personal interest. It's not something that I can bring to my reporting unless we get, someday get the kind of documentation on it that would validated at the level that's needed for something like the New York Times. It's it's very difficult to, um, you know, there's there's so many interesting stories floating around, but to, to bring something to the New York Times, they have such a high standard. And the bar is so high to do that, that you're very restricted about and what you can report on. And it's a good thing, because that's why when you do report for the Times, it has such a huge impact. And everything is so carefully, so rigorously reported on and so carefully documented because that's what the Times requires. And therefore, it has a major impact. So I'm happy about that. But it also means there's only a certain amount of articles that we are able to do for the Times. Right. And editorializing isn't sort of what your your job is on it. It's to report on it more than editorialize. But this is a more casual show. And we've got a question from one of our people in the forum. Okay. And while we're still talking about UFOs and the abduction phenomena, and so some people just kind of might like to know, you know, your perspective as a person, just as an individual, rather than necessarily, you know, in the role of the reporter. And Ellen Dill asks, as someone who has been involved with the late Bud Hopkins, what are your personal thoughts on the alien abduction phenomenon? Yeah, I mean, I'm absolutely intrigued by it. I'm fascinated by it. I've read about it. Um, I know people who have had those experiences, and I respect them, and I believe that something has happened to them. So to me, it's just a, a, a huge mystery about what that is all about. Um, and I would, I would like to understand more about how all these sort of paranormal aspects of the UFO phenomenon intersect with the physical aspects of it. I've been focused on the physical aspects of it, but I know that the the phenomenon itself is way more complicated than that. And the impact that it has on people has a lot of paranormal elements to it. And all of that is, is part of the bigger picture. So I, um, you know, I have the greatest respect and interest in those experiences and, and, uh, I'm not an expert on them, but I'm personally very interested and I'm always wanting to learn more about them. And I read, I, I, there's certain books that I, I think are really, I mean, one interesting book, it's called American Cosmic UFOs, Technology, Religion, written by Diana Pasolka, a professor of religion. One more thing. We'd like you to visit our brand new official Paracast store. Just go to theparacast.shop. Once again, go to theparacast.shop to see all sorts of exclusive merchandise. 
More to come with Leslie Kane, Gene and Randall. You're in the Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. With more people listening to radio than visit Google, Facebook, or YouTube, from the very young to the very old, everyone listens to radio. Pillow companies, alarm, identity theft, nutrition, insurance, banking, automotive, the list goes on and on. Billion dollar businesses. Why? The answer is radio. The media everyone tunes into. Find out how effective and affordable radio can be for your business. Contact 877-996-4327 or advertise at GCNlive.com. Are you afraid to go to the mailbox because of letter after letter from the IRS? Are they stacking on more and more penalties and interest? By now, you know the problem won't go away on its own. Don't let the IRS chase you to your grave with penalties and interest and liens and levies. You need real help now. I'm Dan Pilla. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I helped thousands of people solve tax problems they thought couldn't be solved. I can help you too. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. Have you checked your Google search results lately? Search results are usually the first impression that people form of you or your business. So make sure that they create a positive impression with Reputation Defender. What the Internet says about you can have a big impact on your life and your livelihood, even if it's not true. Fortunately, you can now control how you look online and in online search results with Reputation Defender. Call 800-831-0771 now. That's 800-831-0771 for your free reputation analysis. If you have negative material from an ex-employee, upset patient, or former client, newspaper, article, legal issue, social media, or other source showing up in your search results, you can combat it with Reputation Defender. Our dedicated experts in patented technology can help make your online search results look their best. Call 800-831-0771 to learn more. 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow, and like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat, I would flip-flop all night long, I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. When I invented my pillow, I wanted it to where you could move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed, it's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my 
my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. And here's my best offer ever. You can buy one of my pillows and get one absolutely free. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-870-0305 and use promo code GCN. That's MyPillow.com or 800-870-0305 with promo code GCN. Marie D. Jones, the author of This Book is from the Future, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So we're taking maybe a logical next step here, as Leslie Kane cited a book in the previous segment, UFOs, the Paranormal. Moving into that, before we get back to that, and because you wrote the book Surviving Death, have you read about the apparent resemblances between an abduction experience and a near-death experience? Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of topic now that I'm starting to explore more. And I, I find that so fascinating. I mean, I've read about it in connection with Whitley Strieber in particular and his new book, um, which deals with that topic, because he's been in communication with his wife, Anne, who died. and and there seems to be some kind of intersection between the, the realm of if there is such a thing as a realm where people go when they die. And then the realm where these, these creatures that people think of as aliens are, and there's, there's some kind of overlapping and um, there, I'm sure there are people that know a lot more about that than I do. I mean, but I, it's something I'm, I'm very curious to know more about. Just before the break, we were talking briefly about UFO abductions and you had had, mentioned that you believe that people are having these experiences. I tend to feel much the same way, that these are genuine experiences that people are having. I don't know exactly how to explain them, but our forum participant, Ellendale, also asks in relation to that, what you think of David Jacobs in one of his latest books, where he claims that uh, we're dealing with alien-human hybrids and that uh, they're actually uh, secretly infiltrating human society. Yeah, I just feel completely unable to have an opinion about that because I have no idea. I mean, I read the book, his book, Secret Life, I believe it was called. I, I don't remember. The newer book that he wrote, I have not read yet. So I, I don't know. I, I just don't know. I mean, it's it's possible I I. And then the whole question of, of interbreeding among uh, humans and aliens. I mean, it's so it's so out there. I have no idea. And I haven't seen, obviously, as a journalist, I haven't seen any documentation on it that would satisfy me as a journalist. I mean, that goes without saying. So I just don't, I don't feel really qualified to comment on it. I have no, that's to, fair I, enough. I don't either. <laughs> so it's, it's an interesting it, story. Yeah, it's just so kind of out there. I don't know what to make of it. Yeah. And his final question is, do you think that the current attention and more serious treatment the phenomenon is getting by the mainstream media is a passing fad that will eventually die off? Or is there reason to believe that there might be a more profound shift underway, something more in the future where we're progressing more? What might that be? Yeah, I mean, I I tend to think that it is a progression, that it is permanent, that I think that the 
impact. I mean, I've just let's just use the New York Times articles as an example. I think the shift that has occurred as a result of those articles is not just going to disappear. I think it it makes an impact. And that impact stays basically until the next shift comes and pushes it forward another step. But I don't think it goes backwards. I don't know if we had some president who was like belittling the topic or something, you know, somebody was actively doing something to make people doubt it. But I think as long as that doesn't happen, we're going to stay where we are and hopefully we're going to move forward rather than backwards. That's I don't I just don't see any reason why it wouldn't stay that way. And, you know, the fact that there are briefings, I mean, people may know that there there have been briefings uh, done for members of congressional committees since the New York Times articles came out, that the articles have opened a door for uh, our, our elected representatives to feel comfortable taking it seriously and for being briefed on it. And that's a new development. So I don't think that's going to go away either. That's the way I see it. I think it's it's pretty solid. Do you plan on staying in the in the field then yourself and seeing it through as uh, as far as you can then? Yeah, I mean, my interest in being in the field now is reporting for the New York Times. That's what interests me. I don't spend a lot of time, you know, keeping up with all the stuff that goes on with the UFO community or that kind of stuff. I'm because I also have this other. Uh, world of this body of research that I'm very involved with right now, which in some ways interests me even more than UFOs. But ultimately, I think I'm going to learn more about how to put them all together. And that has to do with my book called Surviving Death. And that book has occupied my focus for, I'd say, since, you know, for the last, I don't know, five or six years, pretty much. And so the work that I've done on UFOs in that time span has been really around reporting for the Times. And that's what I hope to continue doing. So, but I, I again, I'm spending a lot of time on this other realm of, of stuff. You are, however, going to be speaking at an upcoming conference. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm going to be speaking at the Contact in the Desert conference, which um, is the first UFO conference I've been to since I went to the International UFO Congress in I think it was February of 2011. It was right after my book came out. I was at that conference and I have not been to any conferences since. So this year, since my other book came out, which sort of deals with a lot of kind of weird stuff, I just felt like, you know, I'm going to go to this conference. Why not? And there's some other people going that I wanted to spend time with. And I just thought it would be an interesting experience. So I decided to do it. That's in um, the last weekend in May in California. That sounds absolutely wonderful. Maybe we can get you back for a shorter show after that and you can tell us how it went. We have um, another question now, uh, moving on then to surviving death from Farlig Goldstein on the forum. And he's just wondering just what your opinion is on some ideas, basically. He says, in your opinion, since human cultures are full of gods, demons, tricksters, spirits, and so on, could there also be a non-human conscious entity that has never been embodied that might be behind some of this phenomena? Wow, what a fascinating question. I don't see why not. I think in some religions, don't they believe that angels in within Catholicism are actual spiritual entities that have never been in a physical body? I'm just asking that. I don't. Oh, I, yes, I don't absolutely. That, of course, is is within the context of religion, but I, yeah, I don't see why there couldn't be all kinds of intelligences out there that we know nothing about that 
you know, exist and we don't know anything about them and that the, there could certainly be um, energies or consciousnesses or whatever realms of existence that have nothing to do with being in a physical body. It's not like the human being is the center of everything, you know? So I would think it's definitely a possibility. He's suggesting maybe some of these, you know, if there is such a thing, might be uh, responsible for perhaps maybe impersonating human beings, making people think that what they're in contact with is, say, the spirit of a departed loved one, when in fact that's not the case. What do you think of that idea? I hope that's not true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're getting out there, that's for sure. Getting out there, it's pretty speculative, but I don't know why they would want to spend their time like fooling poor bereaved people who are down on earth wanting to contact their dead husband or something, why they want to spend their time fooling them and pretending to be that that husband. It seems a little far-fetched to me, but we don't have the answers to any of these questions. Right. But it's not something I would have ever really speculated about that there was... I mean, you can speculate as to whether it really is that deceased husband that's speaking. It, it could be that the medium is, whoever you, however you're getting the information, that it's coming through some other other method. And that's a whole other topic, but I wouldn't have ever thought about that method being some consciousness impersonating or pretending to be that person. I just never would have crossed my mind that that would have been happening. It's quite interesting because we have touched on the idea that perhaps uh, there's a sort of the a unified field theory of the paranormal and UFOs in that uh, perhaps whatever this alien phenomena is, it seems to have all the technology required to be able to pull something like that off if it wanted to. But that's another separate kind of speculation or theory. Farleg has one last question, and he asks if you have read Kevin Randall's book, Conversations, that present what Kevin thought was evidence of reincarnation. Unfortunately, I haven't. I would love to read it. I'm really fascinated by the question of reincarnation. Uh, I mainly get my information on that topic from the Department of Perceptual Studies at the University of Virginia. That have They have a huge archive. The most of the work that I have studied regarding the question of reincarnation comes from the Department of Perceptual Studies in, at the University of Virginia. I've read the work of Ian Stevenson and Jim Tucker, and uh, also case studies. And so I've reported on some of those cases in my book, but I have not read a lot of other stuff. I mean, some. So I'm glad to know about Kevin Randall's book. I'll look it up. Well, thanks for answering those questions. I'm sure our forum participants are going to be really glad to hear from you on those. And guess what? You're going to hear more of Leslie Kane on this weekend's episode of After the Paracast, part of your Paracast Plus subscription. For more information, point your browser to theparacast.plus. We've got more to come with Leslie, Gene, and Randall. You're in The Paracast. for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items and entails t-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast jumbo tote bag, all sorts of t-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great 
T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. Hey everyone, Proactive MD has an incredible offer for our radio listeners only. Stay tuned for our exclusive offer that includes a free charcoal pore cleansing brush and free shipping. Proactive MD with prescription strength adapalene can heal and prevent future breakouts. Today, for just $19.95, we're offering listeners the three-piece Proactive MD system with free shipping, plus a free gift, the new charcoal pore cleansing brush. Get this exclusive offer by calling now, 1-800-583-8662, or go to Proactive.com and enter promo code radio you heard right proactive md plus free shipping and a free gift the new charcoal pore cleansing brush you'll get all this for just $19.95 and their 60-day money-back guarantee you're guaranteed to get clear and stay clear or you get your money back call now 1-800-583-8662 that's 1-800-583-8662 or go to proactive.com and enter promo code radio again go to proactive.com and enter promo code radio Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Leslie Kane, in looking over or getting information about reincarnation, did you ever hear of a book called The Search for Bridie Murphy? Yes, I'm, I'm familiar with that. I'm familiar with that event, that incident. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I have didn't study it in depth, but uh, yeah. But I, well, the, the cases that I'm really interested in involve small children. There's no, there's no hypnosis involved, and they're they're children that come up with incredibly specific memories at very young ages with information they couldn't possibly have accessed through normal means and that the information is able to be verified to the life of a specific person so that you can actually sort of prove that the memory they had of their past life actually happened. So it's like being able to verify that memory. And uh, that's, those are the cases that I, I report on in my book and find to be the most evidential for the reality of reincarnation is the ones involving these two and three year old children. Yeah, I've run across a couple of those myself. I'm I'm very interested in all of this stuff as well. I, I tend to take a very critical thinking perspective towards it all and look at the pros and the cons to see what might be possible and what might not be possible. And I've never run across a case that is that convincing for me, but I know that there are a lot of other people who have. And I'm curious as to why some people go the extra step to believe it's almost as ethereal as the whole ufology thing. Probably less so because, I mean, spirits and, and consciousness, it's all ethereal. It can't be picked up on radar. There, it doesn't leave traces. There's, at best, it's just people's memories that might somehow have been transferred to another person. But that doesn't really say anything about continuity of consciousness. So... It's all very interesting, but I mean, what do you make of it yourself? Or how do you explain what's going on? 
Yeah, I mean, I think what you're saying is absolutely true, that this this whole realm of investigation is much harder to pinpoint and to, to document than UFOs, where we have, as you mentioned, all these this data that goes back decades and decades, and it's consistent, and we have all this physical stuff. But with respect to, so that's, that's one of the reasons why I was inspired to do this book, because I wanted to find out what is the best evidence we have for the possibility that that consciousness survives death. And I only wanted to look at really solid evidence. And it's out there. I mean, uh, and I looked at it from a, a range of different areas. So I'm not just looking at one thing like reincarnation or near-death experiences or this or mediumship, which most books deal with one aspect of it. But I, I really wanted to kind of bring together the, the most journalistically solid and the most scientifically solid information to support that possibility from a range of areas and show how they all kind of interconnect with each other. And so I believe that some of the cases on reincarnation that where we can actually verify the memories of these children are very compelling. Uh, they Maybe you can explain them in some other way, like you said, but these children not only have the memories, but they're very emotionally involved. They have knowledge of what they knew in that past life. Uh, they're emotionally affected by their memories. They're, they have nightmares around their previous deaths. They they long for their previous families. I mean, there's a whole, you know, a world that they're involved with, which is a lot more complicated than just remembering specific things. And and when they have, when you have a list of twelve or fifteen or even more highly specific memories, and you can say, well, this person, we found somebody that all those memories fit that life of that person. You know, and that child is convinced that they were that person and they remember the death that they had in that previous life. They remember their families. They can go to the house where they used to live and recognize things in the house or tell you where something is hidden in that house. Things like that. It's very compelling. It's a compelling argument for reincarnation. Let's put it that way. Um, The only other explanation might be that they have some kind of incredible psychic ability or some kind of reason that they would pick up psychically on this one particular lifetime of one person who lived 50 years ago and had no relationship to them or their families. And then this child has no other psychic abilities. It's not like they're picking up on people all the time. It's this one life, this one event that has consumed them. And then once they grow older, they they move on. So Dr. Jim Tucker, who's a child psychiatrist at the University of Virginia, who has been studying these cases for a long time, has been directly involved with many of them and has drawn the conclusion that he believes that the reincarnation, the thesis of reincarnation is the most likely explanation for it. But as with everything else, we can't prove it. But I think some of the, the cases we have, and I, I explore two of them in my book of these, of the, they're both American boys, uh, are really fascinating and very hard to dismiss as something other than something very paranormal is, is going on there. They seem to be reasonable in terms of these young children were having experiences that they believe are real themselves determining exactly how they got the memories that have led them to believe that they had these past lives is is a whole other question. And that's the part that I struggle with with these, because you can read the counterpoint to virtually every point that's made and go, well, that's sort of 
just as reasonable, in fact, more reasonable than suggesting that there's some continuity of consciousness following the death of the body. At least this is what I've been able to come up with. So I'm just kind of wondering how it is that we kind of bridge the gap other than by sheer faith or belief. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not, I mean, I'd have to, have, you know, we could have a discussion another time maybe about this counterpoint that you're talking about. I mean, I have not seen uh, any arguments laid out about the specific cases that I report on here that have convinced me that there's some other way to explain them. I mean, there may be other possibilities, but I haven't found any of them to be as convincing as the reincarnation explanation. But it's true. You, can't, you don't know for sure that that's, that that's what happened. I mean, I'm not saying that I know for sure. I think the whole, all the stuff I report on in this book is highly suggestive, and that's as far as I'm willing to go, but you can't prove it. Well, that's entirely reasonable, though, because I do find it fascinating as well, because something is going on that is out of the ordinary that we don't really understand. People who want to, say, be dismissive of the idea of a reincarnation uh, will just say, well, that's not possible, and therefore that can't be the case. Personally, I would fall into that category, but I don't fall into the category that it's not happening or that there is a definite explanation. I just think it has to be something perhaps other than what people are led to believe it is. Mm -hmm. And that's perfectly valid. That's a valid, and maybe you can come up with a very convincing explanation, uh, which, you know, if you look at these two cases in my book, I'd be very interested to hear your perspective on them, actually. And I just want to say, too, that reincarnation, as I see it, is just one component of many areas of investigation that all kind of point towards the same reality. So it's not all about reincarnation. That's just one aspect of it, of, of you know, evident, a body of evidence that suggests that consciousness functions independently of the brain. That's the first component. And then there's the question of whether, if, if, it, if it functions independently of the brain, and we can see that in a lot of different ways, does it mean that when we die, uh, it it still functions independently of our bodies. You know, that's the question. Yeah, I think that question is still really not been uh, proven that that is is in any way possible uh, for consciousness. Can't prove that. Absolutely it's, right. It's what what does seem to have been um, well proof. That's it. That's it. One of those questions. How do you define proof? I, I always say that well, proof is just evidence that's sufficient to justify belief in a claim. And for some people, certain evidence is good enough, and for other people, that same evidence isn't good enough. This is good enough. These announcements coming up. Leslie Kane talking about the ramifications of that book, surviving death, reincarnation, all that. With Gene and Randall, you're in the Paracast. Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. 
And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Would you like to get back that full head of hair from years past? Introducing Reveal from GCNLife.com. Beverly Hills dermatologist, Dr. Nathan Newman, invented Reveal, which contains polypeptides with natural botanicals and no parabens, sulfates, silicones, or dyes for a salon-quality hair growth product, Reveal. Here's Dr. Newman. I have treated a lot of patients who lose their hair and they lose their confidence. We've created a unique set of polypeptides, which we call HPT6. The HPT6 contains the polypeptides from six different plants. The scalp infusion treatment should be used on wet or dry scalp. The Reveal hair care system is designed to be used for men and women alike. Get Reveal at GCNLife.com with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So try Reveal today at GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. Plus a discount up to 25% off for Reveal at GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. Do you feel like many of us? All the distractions in the world taking our minds and focus off what really needs to get done day to day? Well, Jeunesse has a dietary supplement called Mind to help with mental distraction and it supports memory function. Go to GCNLife.com now to check it out. You're only at your best when your mind is at its best. Go to GCNLife.com or call toll free 844-443-6637. That's GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. Warning, if you're drowning in debt you can't afford, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to pay it all back, because you don't. What the credit card companies don't want you to know is that there's actually a way to get debt-free without paying off your entire debt or going bankrupt. If you have $10,000 or more in credit card debt, you now have the right to let us settle that debt for a fraction of what you owe. For free information, call Credit Associates now. 1-800-976-1460. We'll even show you how much money you could save. If you can't afford to pay off all your debt, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to. Call Credit Associates now for free information on how to get debt-free faster than you ever thought possible without debt consolidation or bankruptcy. We depend on your success and offer a guarantee, so there's no risk. For free information, call now, 1-800-976-1460. That's 1-800-976-1460. 1-800-976-1460. Hunters, anglers, campers, and survivalists, get back to nature. Expand your horizons with the highest quality, most versatile, unique slingshots and sling bows on the market at slingbow.com. Slingbow products are compact and models start from just $17.98. They're perfect for your bug out bag or storing in your vehicle. Give yourself and your loved ones the excitement and tradition of Slingbow, a new frontier in archery and truly modern twist on this primitive survival tool. Feel the thrill only at slingbow.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
Now, I have a brief thought here about reincarnation because some of the common theories are that you in your life have to pass a test to get to a next level. And therefore, you go up the vibratory plane. But if you just reincarnated as another individual that maybe you remember and maybe you don't, what's the point of that? Or are you just getting in touch somehow with this consciousness that exists somewhere? I'll give you another wild theory just came up with multiverse. They exist in another parallel universe, and you're tapping into, for whatever reason, the lives they've had. That's crazy, isn't it? I mean, I can't speak to any of this because as a journalist, I'm just reporting on the case studies. You know what I mean? I'm not like speculating about what happens when you're in the other realms or when, you know, you're you're going to different levels of consciousness after you die or why you come back or whether you do come back. I mean, all I'm doing is saying, here's this child. Here's what happened with this child. And here's what's been able to be verified. The whole story around this child's memories and how it affected his family and when he met the members of the family from the previous life and all of that. But the rest of it, as far as I'm concerned, is absolutely outside my ability to comment on or to know anything more than anybody else knows about it. It sounds like one of the things, though, that it's happening. But how can you possibly, number one, prove it other than the experience of something and hope to find a cause? But how would you find the cause if you're in touch with a consciousness that's, you know, whatever in the afterlife or you are basically returning to another form? How can any of this be proven? That's what also is strange, and it's also the impossibility here. You mean the fact that someone has returned at all? How can that be proven? Is that what you're saying? Possibilities here, either they're tapping into something, a consciousness that's, or they lived that life, which is what the reincarnation theory is, that a hundred years ago, they were that person. And then when that person died, the consciousness sought a new host. I mean, that's what the children feel happened to them. They feel that they lived that life and they have these memories of it and these emotions and these longings and these nightmares and all this stuff. And that's how they feel it to be. Now, that maybe that's not what it is. As you're saying, maybe they're tapping into this one particular individual consciousness for some unexplainable reason. Somebody they've heard nothing about, know nothing about who, I mean, in the case of these two children, there was at least about 50 years between uh, the death of the previous person and the, the birth of this child. And there's no connection. So there's no way that they would pick up this information from their families or something like that. So, you know, we know what happened. We, we can verify the memories uh, and we know the experience of the child and we know what the child thinks. But beyond that, we don't know. Maybe there's another way to explain it. It's just, it doesn't, none of those explanations make sense to the people involved, but doesn't mean that they're not, they're not the right ones. I have yeah. an overview also about the fact that possibly a lot of children do have memories or abilities, even psychic abilities, but we kind of condition them or brainwash them out of it. Oh, he's just playing. It's an imaginary friend, whatever it is. By the time they're assimilated into society and they're educated, whatever abilities they may have had are gone. 
I think that's true. I think I've, I've heard parents tell me, oh, my child started talking about memories and I, you know, or I would just tell them, oh, you had a dream or, you know, yeah, they're not, it's not part of our culture to encourage that kind of thing in, in children. And in other countries, it's much more part of their culture, like in India, for instance, or Asian, Asian cultures, which have Buddhist beliefs, uh, where reincarnation is just part of the norm for them. So that when children talk about it, it's, they're listened to. But in America, that's not the case. And in some ways, that's, that makes the two cases that I reported on and others that occur in America even stronger in that they're up against the whole cultural backlash that, you know, that comes along with it. And um, the journey of the parents is very interesting in that regard, too. In the two cases I've studied, uh, the dads absolutely could not accept this. And uh, it was the moms who were more open to it. And in one case, the dad was absolutely convinced to prove that his child was wrong and that his child was not remembering a past life. And every step of the way, he, he, all he ever was able to do was verify it because he'd do the research and find out that his, his, the memories were accurate or that they related to something the child couldn't possibly know anything about. It was this whole journey for the parents. So it's just a, it's a fascinating uh, you know, phenomenon to, to study um, from a lot of different perspectives. It's kind of interesting because I think, I mean, is, are we talking about uh, what, James Leninger? Yeah, James Leininger is one of the ones, right. and Ryan Hammonds is the other. And people out there may have heard of the James Leininger case. It's quite well known, more so. Right. So maybe we might be able to clear up a, a couple of misconceptions here then about um, a couple of the points. So one of the counterpoints is that actually while James was very young, it was fairly common for him to be exposed to that information by way of visits to local museums uh, and uh, toys that were from that period, a whole number of them. And young people are, especially at that age, they soak up everything. There's a couple of really interesting cases I could I could uh, share with you about how you can uh, develop perfect pitch, for example, by exposing young children to sounds. And they pick it up automatically, just like little sponges. Mm -hmm. And then their imaginations just form the actual images and understanding of what's going on all by themselves they're amazing and so virtually every single example here of that particular case looks like it can be explained in that way if if you're saying that he never they never took their son no 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 they to the museums before they yeah they did but he was after he would had had an interest in i mean you have to look at the chronology of things uh, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, like, did he, he did exposed he, to a lot of the stuff that he talked about? Uh, he hadn't been exposed to anything related to it before he talked about it, such as the Natoma Bay when he talked about the Natoma Bay and um, the types of aircrafts and things like that. I mean, this was a a two year old who couldn't read, and he just you know the kind of knowledge that he had. Um, according to his parents, he just there's no way he could have been exposed to it because they were aware of what their child had been exposed to. But yeah, they're always, you know, all of that has to be analyzed and, you know, it comes into question. Um, and a lot of it in this situation is you have to rely on the honesty of the parents and you have to have some kind of written record of what happened when so that you can look at the chronology of everything. That's a really important part of it. Absolutely. 
Her book is Surviving Death. We have a couple of more segments to talk about all these ramifications, all these things that we do not understand about our world. We think we've got a handle on things, but there's always something we just can't figure out. But you can figure out this. We've got more to come with Gene and Randall. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Anytime, any place, anywhere, radio remains the most intimate of all forms of media. At home, at work, in the car, on smartphones. Over 90% of consumers still listen to radio every week. That makes choosing radio as a place to advertise your business one of the best decisions you can make. Email advertise at GCNlive.com and partner up with an experienced GCN representative. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Easy, affordable, effective. Would you like to get back that full head of hair from years past? Now, there is Reveal. Beverly Hills celebrity dermatologist Dr. Nathan Newman took nearly a decade to develop Reveal from natural botanicals to return to a full-body head of hair. Reveal for men and women with a 30-day money-back guarantee at GCNLife.com or toll-free 844-443-6637. 844-443-6637. Reveal at GCNLife.com. USA Radio News with John Hunt. Freed momentarily from the Senate's impeachment trial, several presidential candidates hightailed it to Iowa for last-minute campaigning before the state's caucuses kick off the battle for the Democratic nomination. Senators Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, Bernie Sanders of Vermont, and Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii plan to hold town halls, rallies, and concerts across Iowa to keep their supporters motivated into the final stretch of the campaign. They'll join former Vice President Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg the former mayor of South Bend, who does not have any Senate obligations and already spent much of the past week in Iowa. China's leader called the accelerating spread of a new coronavirus a very grave situation as cities from the outbreak's epicenter in central China to Hong Kong scrambled to contain an illness that has now infected more than 1,200 people and killed at least 41. This is USA Radio News. Our U.S. Constitution is amazing. It's full of what's called negative rights, designed to protect us from the corrupt powers of a dictatorship. Like our right to worship our own God, not some official state religion. Our right to prevent the government from seizing our property without paying fair market value for it. Or our right to be tried by a jury of our peers, people like us, not by some star tribunal. And that's why America has become the richest, most just society in the world. Other countries force so-called positive rights onto their citizens. These enable one group to take from another group their free speech, money, and choice by using government force. Socialists love wielding this power over people. Sometimes we take our freedoms for granted, but we can lose our Bill of Rights and our constitution and become like venezuela or north korea failed brutal socialist regimes we need your help to spread the good news about our amazing u.s constitution help us take back america go to ouramericanrights.com brought to you by the american media council 
Are you over 50? Would you like to get up to 33% more income in retirement? Then call now for this free book, Annuity Do's and Don'ts for Baby Boomers, from a leading financial firm on maximizing your income in retirement. That's right, free. This free book reveals little-known truths about annuities in simple-to-understand terms that will help you make the right choices before buying an annuity. And it's free. As a bonus, we'll also throw in a free annuity rate report, summarizing the rates and benefits from financially strong insurers. That's right, annuity do's and don'ts for baby boomers and annuity rate report, both absolutely free for calling today. 800-932-1789. 800-932-1789. That's 800-932-1789. Producers have the appropriate licenses for the products they offer. Increased income is possible using strategies suited to your goals and may require buying multiple annuities and holding them full term. Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Going back to surviving death, Leslie, what started you off on that quest? Well, I had been interested in these questions for a long time, kind of in the background of all the years I was studying UFOs. And I just had read things here and there. I was involved with a, a, you know, a, a documentary that was made about some of these questions. And I got to know some of the players in the field. And it was just something I was always curious about. And I was particularly interested in the work of the Department of Perceptual Studies at in the University of Virginia, because uh, this is a, a group of academics and psychiatrists and medical doctors who have formed this unit within a major university to study these matters. And so that was really interesting to me. So anyway, the way it all happened was a few years after my UFO book was out and I'd done all the things that happen after you do a book like that, uh, my publisher just basically said, "Do you? is there something else you'd like to write about? Do you want to do another book? And I had actually been thinking at that very time that I wanted to do another book exploring these questions. And at the, it was a real synchronicity because I was planning that very week to talk to my agent about that possibility. And before I could do that, she called me and said she'd just gotten a call from them and they were asking that question whether I wanted to do something else. So the difference was for this book, I really didn't know much about these era, this, this stuff before I got it, you know, did the book. So the book was a personal journey. And, and it, I had a lot of experiences throughout the research that were very personal to me, which I also brought into the book. Whereas with the UFO book, I had studied it for 10 years. So it was sort of the culmination of all the work I'd done. But this was like, I didn't know what I was going to find when I jumped into it. I didn't know where it was going to lead me, you know, and it was all kind of new. I mean, I'd had some experience with some of the material, but nothing like UFOs. So it's very different in that way, that it's way more personal. It deals with topics that are much harder to pin down, you know, uh, compared to UFOs. I found it to be a much more difficult book to write uh, than the UFO book, way more difficult, more personal and more complicated. Uh, and each of the areas of of discussion in this book in themselves could have been a whole book. So it was also about having to trim it down to the essential 
core of what I thought was the most important information and to find a way to hold it all together. So, yeah, so it is something I've been interested in a long time. I'm sort of interested in these big mysteries, questions that, you know, we probably will never be able to answer. And this is one of them is the question of consciousness and, and, and the survival past death. You mentioned the word personal several times. Does that mean you have uh, had personal experiences or personal experiences have occurred to the people around you? Yeah, I mean, during the course of writing the book, I had some experience with mediums that were really mind-blowing to me, and I reported on those in the book uh, because I did them in a way that was objective so that they didn't know my name ahead of time, for instance, and I was able to record the conversations and analyze them, etc. And I also lost my brother in 2013 very unexpectedly during the time I was, while I was writing this book, and never expected anything like that. I never expected to lose him in the first place. But then after that happened, uh, there were various types of communications that I believed at the time were coming from him, or at least they seemed to be. And that all became part of my journey as well is receiving these, what we call after-death communications, which is a whole, also a field of research that's been done. And then I had another experience with a physical medium, which I write about in my book. So with this kind of information, you can go out and test it yourself and experience it yourself, a lot of it. Whereas, of course, with UFOs, you can't do that. You have to rely, you know, I, I'm not, I've never seen a UFO. It's all about what people tell me, but with the journey through a lot of this material, such as mediumship, I could jump into it and, and test it for myself. And that, that was very different. So yeah, in the process of doing that, it became personal for me. And also risky for me as a journalist to talk about. I mean, I had to think carefully, am I going to really talk about my experiences with this kind of weird stuff? And uh, I felt... You know, I've, I've gone out on a limb more with this book than I feel I ever did with UFOs. That's I, fair. That's certainly. Yeah. Yes, that is. It is brave of you. There's no doubt about it. And it, there's also no doubt that people are having these kinds of experiences. So to simply dismiss them, I don't think it's fair to anybody. To explain them is a huge challenge. You really can't explain them, but you can report on them. And when you're dealing with a personal experience, it's really the experiencer, person having the experience that has to interpret them for themselves. And that's where the meaning comes from for that person. But for many of them, there's no kind of object, object, objective way of explaining them in any kind of scientific way. But they do happen. And people need to be aware of that. And I think so many people have these experiences and they don't feel safe talking about it. And I'm hoping that my book, and I know that it has so far, it's made it more comfortable for people to talk about their own experiences, which is, I think, really important. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, at the same time, I, I kind of worry that the experiences that people have are in a category where people have already kind of made up their mind about what it means to them. And therefore, everything that they think about it is confirming their belief so that there is a lot of confirmation bias about what is happening. So, for example, someone might actually experience an apparition of something that looks like their departed loved one, and that will immediately lead them to conclude that therefore there is life after death and that their departed loved one is existing in some realm after the death of their body. 
And trying to convince them otherwise can be very dangerous because of the emotions involved. I've lost a brother too. I've I lost my life partner to cancer. So it's not like I haven't lost people and wouldn't like to believe that there is some sort of an afterlife. Mm -hmm. But I don't. And I have reasons for that. And yet I still do believe that people have experiences that will lead them to believe that those people still exist because that's what they want. That's what they prefer. Right. Yeah, I understand that perspective. Absolutely. And, you know, I feel like if somebody wants to have that belief system and if something reinforces it for them, that's their choice. But I have a question the, here, kind of an overarching okay, ahead, question here. Yeah. Sure. Going back to UFOs, have you found it all talking to any witnesses of UFO events that they have a history of other stuff happening to them? Yeah, there are, there have been people like that. I mean, uh, Robert Hastings just came out with a book about that, as you probably know. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a complicated thing how they intersect, and that was that's something I'm just sort of beginning to try to grapple with more uh, than I have before. Is the whole as we talked about earlier. I, I think I, mean, I think that's what you're talking about. That yeah, I mean, do and to what extent do people just create realities for themselves? As I think it was Randall who was saying that. I'm sure that happens all the time. So I'm trying to be as scientific and objective as I can be in this book um, that I've written, uh, and looking at studies and statistics and you know, cardiologists who have studied near-death experiences and, 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 you know, be objective as I can, but it's hard to, uh, I mean, everyone's going to have their own belief system and their own perspective. It's going to enter into how they interpret things that happen. I don't think there's any way we can avoid that. I mean, my experiences, I've had these profound experiences and I still feel like I don't know for sure what they were. They seem like they might have been my brother, but I can't say I'm 100% certain about that. I'd like to ask you maybe some more details about that in our next segment, but I'm going to tell you a story before I do that. We've got Leslie Kane, the book of Surviving Death with Gene and Randall. You're in The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. As you know, neighbors, web hosting can be pretty cheap, but not all hosting is the same. DreamHost wins best of awards year after year. You get unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, and even the low-cost plans put your sites on high-performance SSDs. Want to know more about what DreamHost has to offer? Go to technightowl.com slash host. Once again, that's technightowl.com slash host.
First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at rockoids.com. That's rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Most of you know that heart disease is the number one silent killer in the U.S. What if I told you for just $54.95 a month you could fight against heart disease naturally? At Heart and Body Extract, we've been helping thousands of people get back to a healthier heart. Don't just take my word for it. Check out all of the success stories at hbextract.com. Or to order, call 866-295-5305. That's 866-295-5305. hbextract.com. Don't risk it when you can take charge of it. Do the letters IRS give you anxiety? I'm Dan Pilla. I've defended people from the IRS for more than 40 years. My book, How to Get Tax Amnesty, created the tax resolution industry and is responsible for helping hundreds of thousands of people. It can help you, too. If you're a non-filer or facing IRS enforcement right now, your case is unique. You need real help, not cookie-cutter advice. My clients get my personal attention. Buy my book at danpilla.com and get a free consultation directly with me. That's danpilla.com. Let's start solving your tax problem right now. When you have a pain in the neck, a real pain in the neck, back, shoulder, or legs, you now have two convenient choices to get fast relief without taking another pill. Because now, Sunny Bay heating wraps and pillows are available at both Amazon and Walmart. Yes, see Sunny Bay's four and a half to five star customer reviews on Amazon.com or Walmart.com. Our made in the USA microwavable heat wraps, heatable neck pillows, and extra large body wraps are designed better for perfect support where and when you need it. Even while driving, Sunny Bay wraps will not burn and stay balanced to provide soothing hot or cold therapy to help treat temporary or chronic pain. And the best part? Sunny Bay quality products started under $20. Join thousands of happy customers and see why Sunny Bay products have a lifetime 100% positive rating on both Amazon and Etsy. It's easy. Click Amazon or Walmart and search today for Sunny Bay. If you have diabetes and you're on Medicare, Medicaid, or have private insurance, you may qualify for a new continuous glucose monitor. Managing your diabetes is crucial to your health. The new CGM can automatically and easily help you manage your diabetes more effectively. And by using a CGM, you can eliminate the one thing most people with diabetes dislike the most, finger sticks. Now you can automatically manage your diabetes and end the painful finger sticks. Solara Medical Supplies makes it simple for you to have a new CGM. We'll do all the insurance paperwork for you and deliver the newest in diabetic care technology right to your door. Take charge of your diabetes today with the help of a new continuous glucose monitor. Call now to learn more. 800-547-5331. 800-547-5331. 800-547-5331. That's 800-547-5331. Hi, this is Nick Pope. You're listening to the Paracast. Let me go back to 1985. My mother-in-law is dying of pancreatic cancer. So my wife and I are over at her sister's home. And her mother had this seizure, like having a heart attack right in front of her. And that's, of course, 
how she died. She died of the heart attack after suffering the, the fatal illness. But just a few moments later, she felt my wife an intense internal pressure, like someone was trying to hug her real, real hard, and then it was gone. And I think she understood then that her mother was gone. Have you heard of those types of experiences? Yep, absolutely. Where somebody close to a dying person seems to know the moment that they've died, or they might be visited in some way. They might see an apparition or feel like they're being visited by that person who they didn't know had died at that moment. Is that what, is that what you're referring to? Something yes. Like- in this case here, we weren't 100% sure at right. that point that she had died. But when the medics came over, they confirmed it to us that she had already been dead. And this apparently happened a short time later. Yeah, I mean, those experiences happen to people all the time. And there have been people who have studied them, you know, that have written books about and how what percentage of people have them and what kinds of experiences people report along those lines. Uh, It's way more common than you would think. Well, now you talked before about experiences involving your late brother, and I know you prefer to talk about researching and journalism and more objective things. But are there things you want to say more about that? I mean, it's in my book, so I'm not hiding it. It's more difficult to talk about the personal stuff, but I've I've written about it. So I'm not going to, if you want to talk about it, we can. Sure. Um, Yeah. I mean, I just had a series of experiences after he died um, in which I felt some kind of connection to him. A lot of the times it had to do with electrical effects that were going on. Uh, At one point I was grieving very hard. I was on my bed you know, in deep grief. And I actually heard his voice and it was not coming from inside my brain. It was more like a telepathic sound of his voice. It's very, I mean, I do describe it in my book. I I worked hard about how to figure out how to describe that. It wasn't coming from my brain. It was outside of my brain. That was very clear. And I heard his voice so clearly and so loudly. And he spoke my name in just with just the inflection that he used to always say it. It was so clearly his voice to me. And it just said, Leslie, I'm fine. It's all okay. I'm fine. And it was like startling to me. I know the difference between a thought in my head and something that's not that. So this was something else. It was to me, it was like, oh, I just heard a message from my brother. Now you can analyze this stuff later and and all kinds of doubts come up and maybe it was or maybe it wasn't and maybe I self I generated it somehow from my unconscious because I was grieving and you know there's all kinds of ways you can explain it and that's true with any kind of experience like this so it's up to the person having the experience to create whatever they want with it i mean that's what i how i feel about it what more can you do I suppose that the aim of all of this is for us to try to find out what the independent objective reality or truth of the situation is that is separate from what we might want to believe. Right. And in that kind of a situation, there's no way to do that, really. I mean, I think when you go, when you get involved with mental mediumship, it's maybe more objective. So I I have these readings with two extraordinary mental mediums in which they were able to connect with my brother and bring through a lot of personal information that they couldn't possibly have known. Now, you can argue that that could have been their the use of their sigh. I mean, it all gets very complicated, you know. 
that maybe they were just doing that through the use of their own psychic abilities and there was no spiritual entity present. That and, and both Bud Hopkins and my brother came through these mediums with all kinds of information that uh, the medium couldn't possibly have known. That's also very compelling. It just, you know, I could talk for hours about this. It's kind of hard to take it out of context because my book is very systematic, how it goes through things. You know, that's another fascinating experience where you feel like you are indeed connecting to that person. I mean, in my situation, the personalities were coming through. My brother and Bud were opposite personalities, and the way they came through in the reading were exactly like that. Uh, They would say things that were just very personal to me, and no one else could possibly have known. So make of that what you will, but when you have that experience, it's very powerful, and it's all a matter of how you're going to open up your mind to it and how you're going to relate to it and what meaning you're going to allow that to have for you. The objective part of the mediumship reading is basically just the analysis of of what percentage of it is accurate and what percentage is not accurate. And beyond that, there's not a lot you can do with it. How Um, did you come to select the mediums that you consulted? um, The two that I worked with, there were two organizations in the United States that certify mediums. So they have a whole protocol in which they test mental mediums. The mediums have to pass these various tests, and they do they do uh, readings with people, and they, there's a whole level, a whole series of things they have to go through to become certified. And so I went to these two organizations the first time, and I asked for them to recommend a medium that had been certified by both. They're independent organizations, so I was able to find one who had been certified by both and was highly recommended to me as being absolutely an outstanding medium. And so that was that was how I found the first one. She has since written a number of books and become very well known. I was fortunate to even get a reading with her because now you can't even get a reading with her. She's booked up for like 10 years or something. She was really really phenomenal. Her name's Laura Lynn Jackson. And so that was how I found her. And then the second medium was uh, an Irish medium. I wanted the second one. I wanted to be 100% sure that the two mediums didn't know each other and had no connection to each other. So the second one uh, I found through a colleague in um, California who recommended her, who had worked with her, somebody who does paranormal investigations and had recommended her as a really, really good medium. And so I made very sure that those two hadn't, didn't even know about each other before I did the second one. And that one was phenomenal. I mean, this woman in Ireland, I took out a fake name. I didn't use my email address. You know, there was absolutely no way that she could have known who I was before the reading started. And it was on Skype uh, that we did that reading. And uh, just the amount of specific information that came through was really, really remarkable. I transcribed a lot of it. I mean, I've listed a lot of the stuff in my book that came through in my reading. And a lot of it was from Bud Hopkins. Now, that is interesting. I didn't think about that. The fact that you're doing this with Skype, you're not physically present. No, the first reading was on the phone. Yeah, it's more evidential that way. Now, the second reading, uh, she could see me. She could see my face, but I had nothing around me that would be suggestive of anything. And she was willing to do it on the phone without seeing me. It's not like she was picking up cues or anything because she's fine with doing it without the visual. But she said that's how she usually does it. And she kind of enjoys seeing the person and she enjoys interacting face to face. 
Yes. Yeah, so it's it's more evidential if you're going to have a reading to do it either on the phone or with a computer where you're not physically with them and where they don't know your name ahead of time. So they can't look anything up about you. Leslie Kane, tell our listeners, please, where they can find more of your stuff. My website is survivingdeathcane.com. It's got both my UFO stuff on it and my new book, Surviving Death, on it. Again, it's Surviving Death and then my last name, which is spelled K-E-A-N. And I'm also on Facebook. You can come there and visit me as well. You can visit us on Facebook if you look for The Paracast. We are on Twitter. Look for The Paracast again. We also have After The Paracast, a second radio show we do. It's available only to subscribers of The Paracast Plus. If you go to theparacast.plus, you'll get more information. After The Paracast is a really, really interesting show. We also sometimes just offer continuing interviews with our guests from the Paracast, or we have other discussions and other guests. So Leslie has agreed to stay on and continue this interview on this weekend's episode of After the Paracast. You get that with your subscription. We also give you a version of this show, free of the network ads, no network ads at all. For more information on signing up, go to theparacast.plus. That's it, theparacast.plus. Leslie Kane, we only got started here. I think we can do a lot more. Thanks for joining us on the Paracast. Thanks. I'll have to come back sometime and tell you more. Because just also the, the experience I mentioned with my brother was there were so many more that were probably more evidential and more compelling than the one I mentioned. So I'll just mentioning that. And I hope people will read the book if they want to hear more. Paracast featuring Gene Steinberg is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in the Paracast. <laughs>